<laughs> have you ever been to a strip club? Yeah. That way they think you got have money you? and they get you the good No, clubs. all my best friends <clears throat> went to centerfolds without me. Have you ever been to a strip club? And then, oh. you know. Well, you and I have never been to one. Okay, so we'll go together. More, I more, would more really someday. like to go yeah. with you more than anybody else that I've ever thought about going with. I think I would be the most comfortable with Colette. And it would be very much like, here, Jeff, have a dollar to put in the nice woman's panties. Hey, let him put this in there. <laughs> He's never done this before. Strip clubs are not much fun. episode 156 where every tuesday we get a whole bunch of books and then we bring them back here and after we read them all and get excited about them all as a group as a buddy session then we, we talk about here, Kristen stewart then we come up here and talk <laughs> about Kristen stewart for a long time and jeff's inability to see a movie with her in it because that's what love does people and colette's complete refusal to see a movie with her in it but you, Some of the time. you literally are just propositioning me to go see that with you so yeah okay yeah, yeah you're a stew head <laughs> no okay I'm... okay um, never mind. Tuesday, Wednesday, all the comic books we get really excited about reading them then we come up here to our papcast studio um and uh engage in a, a podcast that's uh, all about the tangents related to or unrelated to the comic books the comings and goings of our lives or the comic shop that we all know love run own work at it's great we keep it alive a group several hands one baby two babies now actually helos <laughs> You know, not technically a baby, but looking fine. I'm Jeff, and uh, yeah, that whole thing about Kristen Stewart. <laughs> so you're part of the the the, the stew, stew crew, crew. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I'm Django, and uh, I don't really know what Kristen Stewart looks like, even though you just showed me her face. Yeah. I'm, I'm Roman. Oh, oh no, Ro, oh. my, my man, thing start. <laughs> what up? Yeah, you fucking guy, you. You fucking guy. Okay, hey, Django, we're going to be spoiling some books, talking about some books. Colette already did it. She's the anti-Stewart head movie. She did. Uh, she refuses to see it. Sure, I'm here. I'm Colette. Didn't you say that? I'm Colette, and I refuse to see a Kristen Stewart movie? Kind and then I was threw you under the bus, and I was like, you just said that you wanted to see a Kristen Stewart movie. And... Yes, I'll admit that I want to see Charles e Charlie's Angels, even though I don't know why. Gooey. Today, we're going to uh, <laughs> spoil some comics. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, the spoilers are sponsored by... Kristen Stewart? Funk Lords. Funk Lords? Masters of the Funk. One Masters of our favorite of funk, funk bands. They actually did the entire Spotify playlist that accompanies Folk Lords by Matt Kent, the first book on our list today. Get your Spotify out and check out the Funk Lords. And they did they they did a live show in the store. Yep. Uh, Wednesday night after close. Yep. Uh, we invited everybody. And, no uh, one showed was, up. <laughs> it was sparsely attended. but uh, There was thanks, a lot of employees. Thanks, Funk Lords. Yeah. Uh, you were... Funky. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about Folk Lords, not Funk Lords. Folk Lords, number one. Far Sector, number one. Fallen Angels, number one. And then we're going to shift gears and stop talking about books that are number ones that start with the letter F. Oh. And we're going to talk about X-Men, number two. Black Stars Above, number one. And The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number the end. Big final number issue. What number is it? Fifty. 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 Okay. Schlee. Wait, was this Funk Lords thing's a real thing? No. Like last night? <laughs> yeah, Wednesday. 
You weren't there? I didn't even hear about it. Yeah, Jesus. You guys didn't invite me. We didn't. I didn't get invited like, either. Yeah, it's I fine. Guess, well, I should have made a poster. Coco and Roro are on the way or out. Or yeah. on Facebook or anything. Can we Can we just take a second and ask him not to say Roro again? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Folklords, number one, by Matt Kent, Matt Smith, and Chris O'Halloran from Boom Studios. I thought that I benefited from staring at the map on the back of this for like three minutes before reading the issue. Just because it's so early on, he takes that troll fairy into the woods, and I was like, what? It, where? Oh, I, I remember looking and absorbing that information. Were you high? <laughs> what do you mean, bud? <laughs> well, like, were you high when you thought that that was, like, a three-minute... What's your point? Like, ROI was positive on a three-minute stare at that? Uh, well, um, first of all, I was. Okay. And second okay. of all, <laughs> you know, staring at that image, and then on, like, page three, when he hops on a boat with a troll and goes across the river to some trees, I wouldn't have known how to internally... It's page okay. yeah three. Right. Visually, like, where is he going? What's he doing? He's, oh, he's leaving this town to go right across the river to this forest that... Uh, you know, I just I like a map. I, I like was, a gra- I like a I like a Matt Kent map. A map Kent, if you like. That came across meaner than I meant to. Yeah, I was, sure fucking did. I was trying to get you to tell me to go fuck myself, but uh, you know, There's you, you won't even give me to that. Do that. What I really should have <laughs> done. Does anyone have to, go to get tell high. you to do that? You just do that on Django, a regular. Do I look like schedule? Ro? My man. <laughs> Everyone knows that fantasy isn't necessarily my favorite go-to genre. I think. I talk about it a lot. Go to. It's the outfits, isn't it? It's the outfits. It's the lack of maps when I get stoned, <laughs> though, and I finally realize they've always been there. Give me a suit and tie, or I don't want to read your but, comic. Yeah, there's lots of maps in fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there it's is. kind of the basis of most <laughs> books is a map that no human or creature should physically be able to cross in the amount of time that but they do Matt it. But Matt Kent. Map Kent. Also throws maps in there, and they're always way more interesting. Because, and I, I think that. So much of Matt Kent's books are sort of the location plays a role in the story. Like Grass Kings. Like Grass Kings. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's about a kid who lives in a fantasy world, and he's an oddball and kind of uh, made fun of for wearing a suit and seeming like a normal kid. Uh, the whole town, like the kids are all graduating, and they have to choose a quest to go on. And he wants to go find the folklords, but everybody's like, no, don't do that because it's against the rules. The uh, the the town, what are they called? The librarians. The librarians are going to not let him do it. Uh, and he'll get in all kinds of trouble. During the ceremony where they're all choosing their quest, uh, the kid in front of him steals his idea and says that he wants to go on, on a quest to find the folklords. And dude gets in tons of trouble. The whole town gets... Uh, kind of put on lockdown and, and told that they can't go find the folklords and instead they're uh, going to have their quests handed out to them and it turns out that the quests that are handed out are just like spying instructions kind of like 1984 but with dragons and shit. What I really liked about it was the way that the town and as kids graduate they, they pick a quest to go on and it's this sort of identity finding right of you know, passage to being an adult that all these kids go on. And some choose kind of asinine small ones. Some choose pretty lofty ones like our protagonist here who's kind of choosing to find the folklords, which are like these possibly fictional sort of omni-guardians or, or creators. And I liked that idea of like people choosing quests and the way that some people are, you know, I, it just was an interesting idea. And they were all sort of fictional fantasy tropes that some yeah. people were doing. Um 
that was an interesting bit of sort of town building or character building to me. And then I loved the way that when this kid stole it, I was like, fuck you, kid. Like, it elicited an amount right. of, like, fuck you. And then the way that the whole town just, like, showed up, shut down, put a, you know, just a wall around them. I, I really liked the sort of urgency. It wasn't, like, a, a, a super surprising book, but it was just, it was charming and interesting. And it's I like- got the subtle character, like, rich characters that aren't hitting you over the head with look at the depths I put into this person that Kent's books tend to have. Yeah, you, you're actually, you feel immersed in a community without having to go through, all right, and now we're going to meet this person, and here's this rich backstory I wrote super, for them. super and, good point that, like, yeah, I think he does a lot of really great character work without it ever feeling like hitting you over the head with character work. I really liked it. It was, it was It's nice to see a fantasy series that takes – the tropes of like high schoolers have to go on their their rite of passage in adulthood, whatever, except turn it around so that they're going on these quests. And like the main character, he wants to do this mundane thing because he has visions of our world. And to him, that's it's a totally fantastic fantasy world. And that's why he wants to find the folklores is to find our world. Yeah. And I like I like that reversal of things. And I like the goofy little. I mean, that's this artist. I love the way he draws some of like the angry girl and the the one goofy, you know, chubby guy that's like, I'm gonna go into the bowels of the Colossus of Rhodes and and come back out alive. <laughs> yeah, and that's all he wants to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not all, all he wants to do is survive something mm-hmm. kind of silly. I like too <clears throat> how Ansel the Laid character, the first page. It's set up in a way that you're supposed to kind of like not maybe realize that this is fantasy since he's dressing in a suit yeah. and whatnot. But the the level of his intelligence that's implied throughout here that not only can he have these visions of our world, but he can actually figure out how to make a semi-functional watch. Right. And that he's got <laughs> these diagrams for a radio and thing on the wall. Like it's a nice way of setting up that this character has the mental capacity to carry you through the story you're probably going to be going on with him so, without the heavy exposition right yeah. yeah yeah and he seems like he's a good guy i mean he's friends with the solitary troll guy and you know trolls God, are friends with people the <laughs> troll character and like him getting pies mm-hmm. and like just that's some really adorable subtle character yeah, work. yeah. and he's the weirdo that dresses in these weird clothes, but yeah. everybody kind of rolls their eyes. Like you get that he's a wonderful person because mm. they're rolling their eyes now, not ostracizing him for being weird. What were you gonna say, Jacob? Um, do you guys has Matt Smith worked with Matt Kent before? I'm not familiar with that name outside of his work on Doctor Who. Yeah, it's good to see okay. him doing something besides yeah. BBC shows. Yeah. Um, well, but, and that Terminator reboot. Is that a gag? Sir Matt Smith, an actor? Yeah. Okay. We got him, everybody. Uh, we got him. Damn I can have go home. You want to talk about Transformers? Yeah, he was the, he was the eleventh doctor. Um, okay, so I guess I was Bow ties I was are sexy. <laughs> no, this is just a regular regular old tie that this kid's wearing. I was thinking <laughs> yeah. that this this does feel different than a lot of Matt Kent stuff. And the art is a lot more um, I don't know. It's it's Immediate, not as sketchy, gratifying. Yeah, it's like accessible. It's it's way more accessible. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's that's the best word. Because as much as I love the Tyler Jenkins art yeah. on Grass Kings and on Black Badge, it was 
super sketchy and, and kind of and not hard to look at, but you, you didn't grok it immediately. And I don't think that Tyler Jenkins's art would have really fit this well. It, it would have been it, really I difficult. Do, but yeah, it, it would have yeah. been a very different thing. And I, and I don't think that Kint's <coughs> art would have been appropriate no, for that. Right. Well, it wouldn't have made me want to read a second issue of this. Well, it's not trying to evoke the same kind of emotion. Right. Right. So this just is... him giving this much uh, uh, trust to his artist mm-hmm. for somebody who I don't think he's worked with before, I right. think is pretty impressive. Yeah, I would love, like he's, um, Matt Kent is like top five creators I would really like to get in the store just because yeah. mm-hmm. we've all loved his books. I think we have a higher fan percentage in our store than a lot of other stores for him. Um, I, yeah, I, I I would love to get Matt Kent in the store. Mm-hmm. Do you think this map is going to grow on the back of the cover as Ooh, he explores? Because there's smart. it's down in the corner. That's smart, yeah. Well, what do you give it, uh, Figley? You know, it kind of just defied every feeling about it I had. So I'm going to give it an 8.5. It, it <laughs> opened itself up and kind of gave itself to me. <laughs> wow. You guys can't I'm, see what I s- look like when I say things, but I did immediately know that that sucked. <laughs> Boy, I, I really enjoyed this book, but I didn't have the experience you did. <laughs> kind of jealous. So yeah. what do you give it, Roman? Uh, my man. We know what we know what Jeff gave it. Yeah, I'll have what he's he's having. <laughs> I don't want to touch your coffee. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, everyone. I was trying to be honest and vulnerable, and I made a sexy thing. It yeah. was it was beautiful, beautiful and sexy. Um, <laughs> my man. <laughs> I'll, I'll also give it an eight point five. I it was charming and everything you said, and I love the way it's at the ends. Kind of draws focus to the meaning of words and playing with words and and the whole idea behind, you know, once upon a time and all that. Um, I'd give it, I think I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Um, and that's kind of what I would want from going into a book like this. Like, I just want to read a, a, a good, solid, fun book that's not trying to be the greatest thing ever. Uh, I think it might build over time once the story's developed more. But uh, yeah, it was good. I'll give it a seven. It was it was good. Yeah, it wasn't great. It was a, It was a nice, complete world. So on the topic of, like, world building and sort of complex world building or subtle world building in the way that folk lords had. Dropping and, you in. And the funk lords do. Um, God, they were so good. It was amazing to have been two of the three people watching this amazing funk performance yeah. in our store. But that's yeah. just what happens when people don't stay after close on a Wednesday. Stop yeah. rubbing it in. Yeah. Yeah. For those of us that weren't invited. Yeah. Well, we like exclusive shit. <laughs> I guess so. Um... Far Sector, N.K. Jemison, art by Jamal Campbell. N.K. Jemison wrote a trilogy, like a sci-fi trilogy I haven't read, but it is, uh, I forget the name of it, but it the is... The fifth season. Yes, the fifth season, and it's a its a huge success. I know a couple people who are big fantasy heads, and they really love that series. So it's got that buzz about it that happens when a, a big writer comes over to comic books. And the artist of Naomi. I love Jamal Campbell's artwork. Yeah. I... This issue, I felt like his art was a bit harder to track in this than it was in Naomi. And I think that that's a combination of the world building that was going on. And the colors, maybe? And the colors, but yeah, well, there was... Well, the lack of outlines Yeah, is mm. a nice... Or there's yeah. white outlines yeah, there's in places, white. and there's a lack in some spots. It's, it's a much more fluid-looking... I'd be interesting to k- stare at this side-by-side side with Naomi and track what's going on. But to me, it also felt sort of a byproduct of the writing. I think the story will hopefully make more sense as it goes on as well. What did you guys think of this book? 
I really like the story with the writing, which is great because halfway through it, I was thinking, boy, if, if it wasn't for the, this writing, I wouldn't read the next issue just because of the art. You don't like the art? <laughs> I don't like the okay. art. And it was okay in Naomi. I liked it better in Naomi. But yeah, I, I like it better everything in Naomi as well. Colette just said is why I don't like the, the art. Um, but the writing, a lot of cool ideas, these three races and the at-at, just the way yeah. they're spelled and pronounced and everything, I thought was really interesting. Um, it's all very intriguing. It, and it seems pretty original. Um, and this, this Green Lantern, I'm curious about the mystery behind how she got a ring. And um, she seems to be another Green Lantern from Earth, which is I was kind of disappointed. I was like, oh, can we have a green, a main DC sure. Green Lantern that's not from Earth? Sure. But, oh, well. Or fleas. <laughs> Orange lantern. Gnort. <laughs> so, They're never mentioned. So I haven't, this might be the first like actual Green Lantern related comic I've ever read. I've never really cared about the lanterns, but this was one of those like, oh, I, I just kind of assumed she must have been introduced in something else, but I didn't ever feel like I was confused because I hadn't read the stuff that she hadn't been in before, which turns out wasn't anything but um <laughs> uh but it didn't have that like i don't know this character i'm totally lost kind of yeah. thrown in ambiguousness it, it i thought that you got just enough to get to figure out who you were following what was what her motivation was or not necessarily the words um <laughs> i man I, I so first of all I, I had kind of a hard time with this book. I realized afterwards that it was all of the font is in lowercase letters, whereas 99% of comic books are in all capital letters. But like halfway through it, I was like, this is really hard for me to get through. And I do think that the typography had something to do with that. Afterwards, as I was looking at it, I was like, oh, it's a young animal book. And it had a lot of the feelings that, I get out of young animal books, which is like a lot of cool ideas, but sometimes hard to track. I didn't love it, but I didn't dislike it. I think there was a lot of cool ideas in it, but it sort of had to me, a lot of the shortcomings that a novelist coming to comics have. And that's not, I felt the opposite. I, I forgot that it was a novelist doing their first comic. I thought it read really well and i yeah. i didn't f- i i remember looking at it and like oh that's right it's a young animal book and i forgot a couple pages in and didn't feel the stuff that usually bugs me about those i wasn't really feeling i don't know i love a detective yeah. story and i love a uh, how did i put it earlier today django a i don't know a detective like a, with disdain for everyone around them and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. not really kind of knowing exactly what they're doing but still telling everybody else to shut the fuck up and do what they say. I, I thought that this was a pretty good first comic from a novelist. Um, like, I I'm, I was way more drawn into this than I was the early ta Coates stuff. Yeah, I would definitely agree um, that. And, and a couple of other novelists who moved over to comics. I think, I think this shows a lot more trust in the artist and... Uh, a lot more, I guess, kind of like nimble storytelling. Mm-hmm. I can tell you the two things that made me think this comic kind of sucked, though, because I ended up, I ended up pretty unimpressed. It was uh, the the use of dash ish twice, pretty much right out of the gate. 
Okay. Like within two pages, there was something that was uh, something ish, and then another thing that was something ish. And then the thing that Roman liked, which was the at at race, being spelled right. with a human at symbol for a race that is ancient, kicked me out of the story and I never got back in. Yeah, that so that kind of hit me as me well. Um, well, the thing I really liked about it too is it read well for me, and it was easier to follow than any of the other young animal books have been for me so far. Certainly yeah. the easiest to follow of any young animal yeah, books for yeah. sure. Because I didn't think about it being young animal it didn't draw attention to itself that way. Yeah, and and that didn't register to me till afterwards. But I was yeah. like, oh, there were moments where it was just a little bit more difficult to for me to sort of be there on the same page with with the people i know yeah. justin and Braden really liked it too yeah. Yeah. um yeah i felt i felt like a cynical asshole every time i've talked about this you're, you're the first person i've talked to who was like eh, it wasn't it wasn't awesome yeah <laughs> i mean and i don't i don't think that it's not awesome it's just, there was just it was a little difficult for me yeah i'm optimistic for how it's all going to come together because i think that she's got a lot of really cool ideas here they're going to become more present i would give it personally a six i'm right there with you right there Right there at a six. I'd do a seven. I'll do an eight. Six, seven, eight. I'll do an eight for six, her, her like Green Lantern brass knuckles. <laughs> well, hey, there was um, you know, that was that was that was a book some of us liked a lot and some of us liked not that much. I think that this book, Fallen oh. Angels, by Brian Hill, Simon Kudronsky, <laughs> is one that I think that we're kind of all on a similar page with fucking awesome comic oh sorry i favorite guess... favorite comic i read this week i think and i hope everyone's ready to toss out their ranking of the six dawn of x books at the end of this number one oh, it's so hard to remember okay django <laughs> what you carry it you carry it if you're going to continue this bit carry it make it for me convince I, uh, me sell I, it i can't i'm looking through it right now and i actually can't remember most of the book okay i want to talk about this <laughs> yeah book. please i want to hear about yeah <laughs> so you hear me talk a lot about X-Men books and how often it feels like you've got a writer who was given a name and a power set. Right. I feel like this is like the prime example of what I'm talking about. That is when exactly I, how I felt. Yeah. This felt like it was written by someone who's never read an X-Men book before in their <laughs> life. Particularly hasn't read any of the Laura stuff from the last like two years. Yeah. No. Yeah. Hasn't yeah. read any Psylocke. Or yeah. any, even the little brief bits that we got in uh, Uncanny X-Men or whatnot with... Um, uh, I'm Young for- Cable or... No, um, I'm forgetting her name. The- Quant, Queen on. Yeah, Quinn on. Um, yeah, and then, and then you add into that art that looks like someone who, you know, maybe does really well at the con scene and can do <laughs> some really cool splash pages, but hasn't ever had to actually figure out how to uh, carry a story through with their art. Um, Cause there's some pages that like some images that are really cool. And then, and then just some repeating faces and some really weird eyebrows to try and express changes right. in emotion. And I, this is an artist we've actually man, talked about quite a bit on the podcast over the well, last like, year and a half. Haven't paid attention. It, it, <laughs> and it's, his art is pretty on point at sometimes and not i think i can't Colette, i even think maybe you were on the week that we talked about a punisher book like a year and a half ago 
maybe that he did the art for i have the same reaction when jeff tells me that we've talked about this i'm artist. constantly reminding Django like this is simon kardonsky like this was the guy that birthed that joke about me being a hipster because i was trying to remind him that like we've read his art before um it's pretty forgettable Ugh. yeah uh but it has a tone to it there are good moments mm-hmm. and yeah um, yeah it, it was almost like the the moments that were good made me resent how not good everything else around it was. <laughs> so so my like my biggest problem was just like we said um like to me Laura has been really really developed in the last 2 years and this doesn't have any of that present. And we're on record as a podcast in general of being pretty huge fans of this writer, Brian Hill. Yeah. Um yeah. and and so I can justify an amount of it in my head as saying, like, well, Hickman started working on the X-Men Dawn of X stuff, like, a year and a half to two years ago. So this book could have conceivably been has started being written a year to a year and a half ago. So, like, maybe a lot of that character work hadn't been read by him or something. But it it is Any Laura stuff doesn't fit into this. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't feel like her struggle at all has been, like, I need to be out of Wolverine's shadow. That's no. not been a thing that I've read. But, um... Yeah, one, I agree with Colette. This Dawn of X stuff, optimistically, I've been thinking, like, hopefully this new paradigm shift and Hickman sort of generally in a vague way overseeing everything will make me like every X-Men book and every character. And I walked away from it just sort of like, no, some characters I don't care about. Some writers aren't going to do it for me. Like, Fallen Angels and Excalibur are sort of just down at the bottom of the stack for me, and I don't think that I'm going to like them. And that's okay because this wasn't shitty, but it was. This was everything that I feared X Force was going to be. Well, and like to be fair, this seems to be something that um, Brian Hill might be really good at, and maybe this first issue just isn't isn't the one. Like I could see the second or third issue once once the action starts, like after the young girls have to ask the old white men, like literally the old white men, if they're allowed to leave. Maybe maybe things will start kicking into high gear, and we'll get some of his some of the stuff that he's good at. But I I like the story that's being set up, and if it wasn't Laura and Cable and Psylocke, if it wasn't characters that we're supposed to know and have an attachment to, it might have been a much more enjoyable read. I don't have that attachment. Minus some things. Okay, well then. <laughs> I mean, I know you do. But yeah, overall, I didn't care for this. Um, except for Laura, it's ex characters I I don't care about. Um, I only liked Psylocke when Betsy was the overriding personality. Um, but yeah, the, 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 throughout this, the main thing I kept coming back to was: Have we seen Gabby yet? Not yet. <laughs> I want to know where Gabby is. She's on the cover um, of. Like the second issue of maybe this one or a different one. Oh. There's like a variant that's got a Gabby-centered cover. What's her mutant power? She's, she's a, a Logan clone, right? I mean, she's yeah. a Gabby is? Clone. Well, Gabby's Laura, a, Laura's a clone. a clone of Laura. Yeah. Okay. Who is a yeah. Logan clone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that was the main thing driving me through the issue was I want to know what happened to Gabby. Right. <laughs> and it's just a bummer. But I don't want to see her in this book. Oh, no, I don't exactly. Yeah. Like, I don't want... It's not the story for Gabby. Yeah, because this... I just don't... I still don't care about Psylocke. It feels like he had a story he needed to tell and he needed certain types of characters to be in that and he just sort of made these characters those characters. It almost felt like to me that he just wanted to write the story of Quanon on her journey Uh but was told he had to include other characters. Yeah. And they're 
just kind of shoehorned in. On and the here's mission. who we have left. How did everyone feel score wise about this book, and then rank them? I'm gonna give this one. I think about the same thing that I gave Excalibur, probably like a 5.5 or a 6. Um, didn't love it, so I'm going to go X-Men, New Mutants, X-Force, Marauders, although I feel like those are going to switch, and then Fallen Angels, and then Excalibur, because I was able to make it through this whole one, and Excalibur I actually had to take two days off of. I give this a 6. Uh, I didn't hate it. I just didn't care about it. I put this right above Excalibur. And I don't know what the rest of my order is at this point because there's too many motherfucking X-Books for me to track. Well, six. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to give Fallen Angels number one a five that's leaning towards a four and a half. Nice. <laughs> um, Stanky. I am going to keep reading it, but <laughs> that might just be the diehard X-Men fan in me hoping that it gets better. I'm giving Excalibur um, and Fallen Angels two issues each, but I'm yeah. not optimistic about you it. You X-Men people have been doing that for 15 years. It's all we know how to do. <laughs> exactly. You don't understand how weird this world of good X-Men comics yeah. is for us. Yeah, I. so for me, I think Marauders and then X-Men, very close. And then uh, X-Force, New Mutants, Excalibur, and then much further down, Fallen Angels. Okay. F-A. Um, I have no idea what my previous rankings for the other titles were. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I definitely would put this and Ex- Excalibur at the bottom of, the, the bottom of my rankings. Um, I might even put Excalibur just slightly above this. Mm-hmm. And then I think my number one was X-Men. Number two was New Mutants. Three Marauders, maybe. And I've already forgotten what And X- don't stress X- about it. If, yeah. I mean, I'm just I've curious about people who was my brain ranks things. So I'm just, <laughs> if anybody else was in that boat. So, okay. Uh, let's talk about X-Men number two. And we'll like, do it kind of quick since we delayed sure. Fallen Angels. Sure. I can't talk about these quick. Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> <laughs> something you are you trying to tell me that in the second issue of a series Hickman introduced an all white race of people with black eyes and a black glyph on their chest cause nah on you know does the whole race have a black glyph on their tre- chest yeah. or just the uh, the whatchamacallits that well, I can't I, remember all of a sudden three, what they're called spinster summoners thank you and they all have a different there's three symbols so to be quick about it I read the first two thirds of this issue and I was like okay I don't really care for young Cable's voice. And Scott is saying the word son and family enough times that it made me feel like Tom King, like his use of repetition, like it seemed intentional repetition to the Uh point where it was going to come back in some way in the way that Tom King has done it because it didn't feel natural. And and I was like, okay, like, you know, maybe some of the, maybe this is going to be kind of like his Avengers run and I don't like some as much as others and, and then the final third of this issue was just, like, some of the coolest shit I've read in a comic book. And, and you know, in the final couple pages of this, Apocalypse shows up, drops some knowledge bombs that I think are fucking amazing. Friend of the show, Andrew Carlson, came in and mentioned, like, I'm so surprised that we're dealing with Krakoa, Arakow, Arako stuff this early. I totally agree with you, Andrew. I'm so excited about it. I love the idea other world the and islands are, are getting it all oh. islands are fucking we're so close to the inferno story with the thing like the the demons coming out that we were uh given clues to in hawks and pox 
Um, and then, and just this idea of Apocalypse has had humps with Arako and Krakoa and created children with both of them. And he's one of their, like, you know, these are the grandchildren of Apocalypse, this white race. Like, Wait, actual, he actually fucked two islands and had actual babies? And or? which of my children is mother to you? War. So one of his disciple people, but then... I mean, I I have a wonderful picture in my head now of Big Blue Naked Apocalypse just boning a pile of dirt. I I wasn't thinking like doing a snake hole, but like reproduction, you know, Um, in the same way that the two islands kind of bond and reproduce in that amazing scene of the tentacles coming together and then blooming flowers like that. And this volcano with the tentacles in it. And I had my complaints. I was like, well, I can't pick. Is this the whole island of Krakoa moving? Is this a small part of Krakoa moving? I'm having a hard time. Hickman, like, I can't be inside your brain. But, um, yeah, I fucking love it. I I like the idea that maybe Apocalypse created Arako and Krakoa with his experiments and stuff back back before the, you know, the continents all split up in the continents we know nowadays. Yeah, and that's that's sort of how I don't think he's fucking things, but I think that there's right. some <laughs> amount of like reproductive influence that he's playing with them. Do you think he's I, getting fucked? He's a apocalypse, man. I hope that that buddy is getting some. Has, has Arako appeared before? No, he created Hickman created that character, okay. that idea in House of X and Powers of Ten. I just I, I just love that whole idea of that, and and this island is like a couple after a few mentions, I, I suddenly clued. It's like oh, it's a, it's a. Anagram? It's anagram, yeah, thank you, of Krakoa. Oh, yes. It's like, oh, yeah. wow, cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. I don't know enough about the X-Men, but this didn't sound like Scott to me. It doesn't. He seemed no. too, like, jovial and jokey. Like, when he's... And, and him letting Doug go off-world, that bothered me a little bit in the... Uh, New Mutants. In the New Mutants comic. Yeah. And when he's like... <laughs> Yeah, some bonehead did that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it's me. I'm the guilty guy. I was like, fuck you. That's the dumbest fucking thing in the world. You've got the one guy you can talk to the one place that you all live that the rest of the planet is pissed at. Yeah. And you're going to let him leave? Fuck you, Scott. You're a dipshit. Well, and there's also <laughs> the If you had dude... any idea how many times I've said that <laughs> yeah. reading a comic. I mean, I think that's also Cyclops' role. Also, there's the new mutant who also left who can communicate with Krakoa by becoming Krakoa. Yeah, we don't fucking him. let him leave. Yeah, and that's sort of what I said last time, which is I think that it's really important that they are trying to make Krakoa not feel like a prison because that's been a subtext conversation throughout this stuff, which is that, you know, we need this this utopia to not feel like a prison. So I would hope that they let them leave anytime they want to leave. Except for that in fallen angels. Now we're on lockdown because Xavier is dead. Yeah. So I I would say that the prison element, it is supposed to be now kind of a prison because we're on lockdown. So yeah, I guess all of that to say, it feels like they needed to move these chess pieces to certain places so that they could lock it down so that nobody could talk to the Island. Cause if, you could talk to the island. You could find out why it's going there, and you yeah. wouldn't have this comic. If you could, if you could uh, talk to the island, you wouldn't. Uh, I just I don't like it. Sure. It, it 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 feels like suddenly I can see the strings or like the note cards on Hickman's plot board. But it was it was a fun romp, and as promised, a one shot. Yes. I mean, this is the same format of the beginning of his Avengers run. It's the same format of the beginning of his Fantastic Four run. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we could point certain things to certain things as as being possibly flaws or the machinations of something. But this follows, you know, 
the same format of the Fantastic Four, like, you know, building these cities and having the four cities meet before, like, I, I don't view it the way that you view it um, in terms of, like, being certain of why things are happening the way they are and then being able to attribute intentionality to it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be a one-shot. I'm fine with one-shots or not one-shots. I'd be... I'd be, I don't, yeah. Well, they're all going to connect. Yeah. And, it's all going to matter together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is like sort of the Fantastic Four argument. Yeah. I found myself for the first part of it having to like consciously reg- regularly tell myself to set aside everything I know about these characters, mm-hmm. not in the same way that say Fallen Angels or something didn't fit the characters, but just like I kept telling myself just because this Scott doesn't match how Scott's always been, like, he's better than he used to be. It's okay. Just just <laughs> get on board with him not being right because, okay, it would be nice for Rachel to have and, and Nathan to have a, a loving father who's actually being, like, paternal and stuff. It's okay, I guess, that Rachel is somehow all of a sudden not – as mature and angsty and has been right. through so much shit that she's just doesn't need a father figure to tell her uh, what to do, kiddo. And like, to me, it all has it, like Stepford vibes and mm-hmm. that's what I'm choosing to believe instead of crediting it to other things. Did like, you say Stepford vibes? Yeah. It has Stepford vibes. And or I gotta say this, uh, this big white cephalopod ish thing coming out of the volcano very awesome. I will read anything with something like that any day of the week. Roman, what just send send us home on this? Get you know, gear us out of this one. Uh, I'll give it a seven. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, it, it, succinct. It, 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 <laughs> exinct. Is anybody else excited for the Solomon <laughs> King thing? <laughs> I'm gonna give it uh, an eight point five. I'll give it a seven. And uh, did I give it an? I'd give it an eight. An eight. Eight. Get us to a butthole somewhere, Django. How about in the sky? I like it. Black stars above. By uh, oh, Roman, you were supposed to say something. I can't remember if I gave it a number or not. You did. did. You did. You You gave it a seven. Was I? Okay. Uh, Black stars above by Lonnie Nadler, illustrated by Jenna Ga, Ka, C H A Cha. There's all this splatter on the cover. You can't mm. even tell. Yeah. Black uh, star drippings. And colored by Brad Simpson. This book, I'll be real honest, this book put me to sleep like mm. six pages in. And when I woke up and picked it up again, uh, my feelings of this is super boring, why am I reading this, turned into holy shit, this is a really good tense storyline. Um, it follows a young-ish, like a teenage girl in a cabin in Canadian trapping country. Um, Her dad is a fur trapper. Her mom is native. And um, her grandfather had some wild experience out in the snow that he he talks about and just sounds a little too fantastical for anybody to believe. But somebody, like, stole his leg uh, by freezing it. And it was not frostbite, according to him. And she's been uh, promised to a man her parents are going to leave and leave this horrible area that's hard to make a living in and leave her with this arranged marriage situation 
And meanwhile, she goes to town and meets a guy who offers her more money than than you can imagine in that time period. Like she got paid two bucks for selling some moccasins to a store, and this guy offers her two hundred bucks to deliver a package to the the other side of the woods. So she sneaks out in the middle of the night to do it, and uh, horror shit happens. And I really, really liked it. It's Vault, isn't it? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. fucking Vault, man. Yeah. I haven't read a Vault book that looked interesting to me that I didn't think was a really, really good example of that genre. Did you read it, Roman? Yeah, I, I really loved it. Um, <clears throat> you know, I love I love horror, I love, love crafting stuff, and, and stuff that's based in real history. And I forget when this, sometime in the 1800s. But uh, <clears throat> the fact that her dad... I thought to get a little bit into the local culture and economy. Her dad is making them live this way because he's still convinced, and the daughter talks about this, he's still stubborn and convinced that, no, if we just hang out and keep on trapping beaver and selling, and the bottoms dropped out of the beaver market because people in the Americas have started discovering that there's bigger, better animals to kill and make clothing out of. Uh, and there like, aren't many beaver left, too, right? I didn't yeah, realize yeah, bottoms and... had anything to do with the beaver market. <laughs> um, and nothing like a beaver skin top, uh, top hat. There's exactly. They really never go out of style. Wanna... That grandfather doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, they're not making enough money. They're just selling to the wrong people, then, that aren't getting the beaver skin hats. Um, I liked all that. Uh, the various mysteries, the thing in the woods. I don't know who this guy is in the woods. Is that her grandfather when he was young? I don't know. We, we don't and know yet. That's a good question. Cause it has and, a, and was writing this journal. It seems to be a month before the the second half of the story that we're keeping up. So is it's it, either the same timeline and somebody in the woods, or that's her grandfather years and years beforehand. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure. But the mystery about it and the, the horror, I mean, the fact that she seemed like a real teenager, late teens, whatever, um, trapped in this dismal existence and then married off so her parents so her dad can like get a job with the Hudson Bay Bay Company and they can abandon her there with this person she hasn't even met yet that she, now she has to marry and you know they're going to give her their their crappy homestead which right. her parents are like oh this is great you get this and you can have all the snow your eye can see yeah all the snow and you know worthless beaver pelts you can eat so <laughs> we have to stop saying beaver yeah <laughs> it's 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 a legitimate animal <laughs> It's an animal? Le- I don't know that legitimacy <laughs> needs to play a role here, Roman. It's an animal. It's a um, soft, cuddly, warm, with a big wamping head, with a big wamping tail. Yeah, wamping, fuzzy. I saw I... one down the Walking Creek. Ugh. I <laughs> saw something crick. in this that I'd never seen before in a comic, and it was um, two. So was the 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 girl is trilingual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they use. Two less than and greater than signs to indicate when she's speaking her native language, one to indicate when she's speaking French, and then without any, she's speaking English. And I thought that, that was pretty cool to have have like these yeah. secret codes from each other, but a really smooth way for us to hear everything that was going yeah, on. Yeah, and that was nice around the dinner table when her and her mom are speaking, because mm-hmm. her mom is actually um, Metis, I think, is the yeah. native tribe, First Nations tribe. Um and her and her mom are speaking, and then the dad points out that, you know, Grandpa doesn't like it. And you don't know if Grandpa cares or not, but he's like, Grandpa doesn't like it when you talk that way because he can't understand. Miss Schiff. Yeah, Miss Schiff is the language of the Metis. And there's, yeah, it's it's a cold comic. It does it does that same thing that uh, Road of Bones did 
or that like the lighthouse movie did hmm. where it just kind of, sort of draws you in and you're like fuck it's cold and I just used my last match or, oh, I should have patched the roof better because now it's dripping on everybody and I'm cold in this movie theater. There's an incredibly atmospheric thing going on with this book. Like it immediately captures helplessness or like hopelessness, really. Yeah. Hopelessness and then the weather. Uh, I was talking to Roman today who knew he knew he was going to like it and I knew he was going to like it. And so I told him like, Roman, you're not allowed to work anymore today until you go read that book. And I compared it. (laughs) I was like, it's like Lovecraft meets The Revenant, just to like yeah. give a time time frame reference. But I really like that. I like fiction based in that period of time or nonfiction because it's a not super talked about. Like my public education failed with me uh, in terms of illustrating that time period to me. Like I've only learned about that time period through fiction. Hmm. And uh, I think it's a really interesting, you know, it's the Wild West before the Wild West. And I think to be able to kind of blend Lovecraft to that is really interesting the really kind of like it's the dying of an era as you know like the, the light going out on an era before it a new one is ushered in in terms yeah. of how commerce is working or economy and society is functioning or even race relations so it's i really liked that but there was this very present hopelessness through the whole thing that like the lovecraft stuff happened and you know like roman has said and we just all watched the lighthouse most of us and uh it it has the, some Lovecraftian questions and sort of the the madness that is associated with your brain opening to too much information, and I, I like that. But it makes me very uncomfortable. Well, yeah, Marty, yeah, time is a time is a black star oh, above. Oh <laughs> man, I didn't read it, but flipping through it, this art is really good. I like this this spread of her skinning the animal. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Man, that just looks right. Uh, yeah, I was wondering, like, did you watch YouTube videos to draw <laughs> this page? Yeah, and that's really, yeah, that's really well done. How you know she cuts it open and basically turns it inside out to keep the keep the pelt intact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the way that the skin is pulling away and it's just really, really good art. It, at first glance, you're like, oh, okay, you know, it's you know some kind of slightly off kilter faces or just a little scratchy kind of. It, it's really dead on it yeah it's really beautiful the scene when she's later on out and going to town north of the woods and has to set up camp and during the snowstorm the snow i mean she has the big part fat fluffy particles but then there's all the little small dustings Mm -hmm. and you can see it's blowing every which way not just snow falling to the earth (laughs) it's blowing around it's swirling and everything that's that's pretty damn impressive being able to do that in a a static medium like Stat- this. Snow and comics are like it's like yeah. one of my favorite things when it's done well. Terry Moore again today bringing him up, but he does that I think better than just about anybody. Um, snow and comics. Seth and Fisher did a really good one. He did the Batman Snow issue. Yeah. And, you, and oh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say the way that it beyond it extends beyond the pa- the panel borders, like you were saying, it is awesome. Like that is a great way of sort of uh, exhibiting, you know, displaying the chaos of snow. Yeah. Expressing. Yeah, even when she's sitting inside the tent and just at the entrance, and her steam the, the, comes the little out. bit of sn- yeah, and, the, and her breath coming out, it's like wow, this Doctor is Steve all reference. so. <laughs> I gotta see that. This is also and oh oh, and that scene with the black sun or black star. <laughs> what 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 what, what what'd you give it, Roman? Uh, my Lovecraftian, uh, my Lovecraft guy. Boy. <laughs> Rom Lovecraftian. Romcraft. <laughs> Arthur Machen, all that weird, weird fiction. Uh, Love stat. 
I didn't. I didn't realize until this moment. I think we're gonna give it a ten. Oh, you <laughs> damn frozen, frozen Ew. lighthouse gooey duck. Ew. I'm supposed to go see Frozen two with my nieces in the next Ew. week and a half, and the whole thing I'm gonna do, the whole time is me sitting there thinking about your frozen cephalopod, Ew. big old ten be- oh. beaver tail. <laughs> I, I give it a nine. Um, I can't. There's no way I can follow that up with a ten because no. I'm just thinking about Roman's dick and how it's got. Ew, God! Because he's got that ten inch dong. No, he doesn't. It's a pseudopod, which is a false foot, which is what. <laughs> Come on, Jesus! Well, that's even bigger. This is a comic podcast. I don't know why penises would come into it um, or out of it. Um, Black Stars, I would oh, give it an eight. Me. I thought it was really awesome. I think the art was really, really great. Uh, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, yeah, this I think cursive this... cursive Django. You mentioned that like cursive writing yeah. can be kind of difficult. There... I don't love I, I don't love that part. Yeah, but where is there cursive writing? All the journal entries. All the journal. Oh, the journal it's okay. not terrible, but that's that's what put me to sleep was oh, okay. just that that difficulty and. and you know, that's just me being a well. I worried. Coward. I worried it was going to do that because usually that, that happens with me a lot. But it was, I don't know. It, it didn't do that to me with this one. It was a good font. It does. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. font and text are really important things to bring up. And like, I, I don't know if I should segue right into my buckshot or not. But I, I brought that up. Far sector had lowercase font, mm-hmm. and that was sort of a barrier to me. I then stopped and looked at every comic I had read that day, which there was eight <laughs> other ones to compare who the, who the letterers were. Cause I wanted to know like, am I just being a bullshit? Did I not like this book? Am I finding reasons to not like this? Book? Naomi was lowercase too. I, I like sort of push when I don't like a thing, I push really hard to understand why I don't like a thing. And if I'm full of shit, is, um, is Bendis in general, Bendis didn't write that. And I don't think Bendis in general is because he wasn't an invent Leviathan. It's more the letterer. I think, but or or an intentionality. But the other book, the only other book I read this week that was lowercase was Batman's Grave, which has a, you know, has a sort of novelist doing a thing or like pro, like the illusion of prose. Or Warren Ellis has the illusion of prose to me. I I, th- I think it's doing lowercase font um, is a very small thing that can make my eyes have a more difficult time reading it. Which is interesting because in newspapers you're never supposed to use all uppercase because it's. Uh, been shown to be easier to read upper yeah. and lowercase and yeah. serif fonts and those are th- those are big no-nos in comics and, just yeah and we all know how how newspapers are doing you got a minute and 30 go uh event leviathan i do like bendis i do like maleev i was pretty unimpressed just as i was afraid i would be about the reveal of who leviathan was Claude, have you read this yet mm-hmm. yeah not my favorite reveal. Um, I think it means a little bit more if you have read Silver Age characters or it could, you know, mean something. But, you know, it's I don't want to spoil stuff to people, but it's feeding into that being the groundwork and some other stuff. And I was hoping that the whole thing would be a little bit more gratifying. Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Blackest Night. Um, it's a Lobo story. I'm actually going to let Django talk about it, but I didn't hate it. Batman's Grave, Warren Ellis. I actually liked this pretty good. I think Brian Hitch's art, has the same problems Brian Hitch's art has, but this was sort of a, a largely fight issue, and there actually was a pretty, there was a moment where the art really had a hang up for what the story needed because it wasn't clearly conveyed at all. But uh, all in all, I'm actually still very interested in this Warren Ellis Batman story that I think is pretty well paced and it it's got some good character work going. But uh, yeah, I think people should check it out. I'm excited to just have like a sort of year long Batman story that. I don't think will ever be bad. It might just be at its worst, not the most interesting. And then I also read Superman 17, which 
gosh, Kevin McGuire. So I was thinking about my Roman and my jingle. I was reading this, and he's fantastic at face <laughs> expressions. Like he, you know, there was a moment while I was reading this, and I did that thing where I said, "It's vaudeville," which is you know, <laughs> just like international is vaudeville, and and I think Kevin McGuire is a lot of that. You know, I yeah. give Event Leviathan number six a six. The art's pretty nice. Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Blackest Night, I would give a 7.5. Colette read the last one. I read the first one. Strangely compelling. Like, not bad books. Not great books, but they actually... Like, I start every one of them thinking, am I going to read this? And then I, I read the whole thing. And then Batman's Grave, I'm going to give a 7.5. I think it could very easily be a better score with an artist that I care for. Django, 90 seconds, go. Oh, shit. I read the Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Blackest Night, number one. It is a Lobo story, and I did really like it. It's also a Sinestro story. I was super surprised that I really liked it. And it's also a Mr. Miracle Dark Side story. I like Mr. Miracle. I don't usually like his stories other than that Tom King thing. And uh, this was fucking rad. And I thought about Jeff the whole time I was reading it. Um, not only did we get a Warren Ellis book in the Batman's Grave, but we also got a Garth Ennis book this week with Jason Burroughs drawing The Punisher. I like that quite a bit. There's uh, just some good Garth Ennis-style battle tactics. I didn't like the place that the cliffhanger happened. I would much rather just probably have this be a double-sized issue to, to launch it. I read The Dollhouse Family by <coughs> Mike Carey. Um, that was better than I expected. I... Don't I actually can't remember much about it now, mm. which is the curse of Mike Carey for me. But uh, <laughs> Mr. Carey, Mr. Carey, some of the characterizations seemed a little bit clumsy. The rest of it felt a lot like lock and key, but not quite as as inventive. Um, and I read Family Tree by Jeff Lemire and Phil Hester. I liked that a lot, um, but it's not treading any new. Jeff Lemire grounds. So if you've read Sweet Tooth and you're short on funds or time, this probably isn't going to add to your library <laughs> of Jeff Lemire. God, that alarm is satisfying. I <laughs> hope people are happy to see the uh, dinger again. Give me some scores, buddy. Black I thought about you the whole time I was reading Blackest Night. Dark. Yeah, that that was like, oh fuck, I'm reading a Lobo comic and Dino and Django. I think. I think that this is good Lobo. I think it's like it's he's a, real good Lobo. He's appeared in a couple series in the last year, and each time I've been like, I don't think that this is the Lobo that my friends like. And then I read this, and I was like, I, I think this is it. This is this is yeah. This is not um, uh, Keith Giffen, Simon Bisley Lo Lobo, but this is solid goddamn Lobo. And Kyle Hotz did the pencils on this with like nine anchors. Kyle Hotz is awesome. And this this just took a bunch of characters that I I wouldn't have seen coming together made it really good i give that one uh i'm gonna give that one an eight nice. punisher soviet i mean it remains to be seen i'm guessing that the series is going to get a nine or a nine and a half from me this issue I, i'm going to give an eight and a half maybe an eight i'm gonna give it an eight because i didn't like the ending uh dollhouse family i forgot what i was going to give it and family tree i'm going to give uh seven dollhouse family <laughs> tree um, how do you feel about having 90 seconds? I, I feel fine Starting with whatever out. you give me. All right. So I read Event Leviathan uh, by Bendis and Maliev. And, uh, yeah, I expected to not be impressed by the end uh, since I'm not super into DCU. I knew I wouldn't 
most likely know who Leviathan was. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, the biggest thing to me was that I just I appreciate when a villain is uh, more of an ideological villain and not just a mm. here to cause havoc. And the mm-hmm. fact that Leviathan is doing this because he feels like it's the right thing to do and he's actually trying to make the world a better place, no matter how misguided. And like, I don't know. I like the whole kind of um, uh, uh, what's his name from WikiLeaks, uh, creepy rapist dude, kind of. Uh, thought process behind why he's doing this was cool to me. Um, Family Tree by Lemire and Hester I read. Uh, I completely forgot that I read this book until I was putting away the stuff that I'd borrowed. But then I flipped through it and I was like, oh yeah, I like this. This was good. So, you know, kind of forgettable, but good. Uh, I read The Dollhouse Family uh, by M.R. Carey and Peter Gross. And that was like, you know, what you expect about a dollhouse horror book. And uh, and then my big favorite of this week was Catwoman number 17, which was relatively a forgettable issue other than that... Um, Selena comes out of the Lazarus pit in this, like, fucking fantastic version of her (laughs) original costume. And then, more than anything, towards the end, she goes to recruit Zatanna at the Magic Club, which, if you're weird like me and watch Desperately Seeking Susan 5,000 times as a little girl, you see the Desperately Seeking Susan Magic Club is where she's going. And that made me so fucking happy that that definitely gets a nine, purely for that page. Um, So I didn't realize... And on Tuesday, I realized this, that Mike, no, sorry, not Mike, Laura Allred has been doing Joelle Jones's coloring. Mm-hmm. That rules. Yeah. I thought that Joelle was doing it all herself. It looks so freaking good. And I am becoming more and more convinced as I read this, read this series that uh, Joelle Jones and I are supposed to be besties. And Also um... a great writer, right? Like, <laughs> oh, you yeah. This whole run. Yeah. The only thing that I didn't really love was the one issue or two issues that she didn't write right, it was a fill-in one i think yeah. we were on that week yeah there there was the annual which i didn't really like because of the art and then there were a couple store issues that were a little story that someone else wrote and i thought it was garbage but this, sure. everything else is so good yeah, i event leviathan i'll give it a six and a half uh family tree seven dollhouse family seven and uh, Catwoman uh, 9. Love it. Colette, I love it. I'm so glad that you've been reading that Catwoman book because I wish that I had, along with many other books. And every time you tell me it's still good, it just gives me faith in you know, creating a spinoff series out of a big book. Like, yeah. like the Tom, you know, when that Catwoman book started, it seemed like, oh, like the wedding happened and now mm-hmm. we can have this other book. And to have it consistently be good and be not on the merits of this Batman book at all is really cool to me. I will say this issue more than anything made me feel how much further along I think um, Batman's been pushed. Because like, because I've been line. feeling like this is like, oh, how is this going to link up now that they're getting back together mm-hmm. and everything? And and this feels like it's leading into her character then getting back, going back yeah. to Gotham and getting back with Bruce, but much later than it has now happened in the Batman. So, like, maybe so it was built it was... into being two months later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Roman, 90 seconds, go. Ooh, the Dollhouse family. Um, Phil Sam's, you guys, I like the idea that we've got kind of like a Narnia version of things going in other realities, but it's all horror-themed. Uh, Vant Leviathan, yes, ho-hum, um, like we all expected. Invaders, I love this series because now we're finally getting getting to, um, Steve is finally able to start reaching Namor a little bit through his PTSD and mind, and mind control and all this. Um, 
it's another great issue of this series, and I'm really curious how they're going to relate what's happening here to what's happening in Krakoa and the mutants and, and all that. Usagi, Usagi Ojimbo, the sixth issue, which is actually the 35th anniversary, revisits Usagi's first story ever, Ooh. which was fun. And it's also cool. It's 35th anniversary, and the only mention of it anywhere is on the back cover. They don't do a big, giant, expensive deal. Star Wars 74, which is just awesome because Chewbacca and Darth Vader fight on a lava <laughs> on a lava planet, and it's just cool. Um, Morbius Living Vampire number one. Really unpack this one. <laughs> <laughs> I love Morbius because he's a 70s weird character. Well, it, and, it was Braden's and, pick. So. And, he's, and he's got a weird, goofy 70s plunging neckline costume. Um, Deep V. Yeah. Deep. So that's cool. I, the story, uh, there's a story. I'm not talking about Sam. There's a story. I don't know. It was, it was all right. <laughs> My time's up. Where's the alarm? You got three seconds. Three seconds. seconds. You got the, one the, second. the wedding, the Black Cat Annual number one. Fun, confusing, because it says to be continued in, in the Museum Heist and Black Cat number one, which came out like three months ago. Okay, did you Ma- get scores? Nas we. Um, no, I didn't. You did a great job, buddy. You got through more books than anybody, me yeah. and Django. Motherfucker. <laughs> it's not a race, Rowan. Oh, you did. You got seven in. I did. <laughs> hey, um, so, okay, sorry. I don't want to spoil. Scores. Scores. Oh, scores? I don't know. Star Wars. Just for that cover, I'll give it like a nine. <laughs> Yosagi Ujimbo, I lo- this is a great series. I'll give that an eight. Invaders, uh, I'll give that an 8.5. I bet you will. He just likes comics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like comics. Event Leviathan, though, I'll give a five. Uh, maybe Unless even they're f- written by Bendis. Maybe even a four. <laughs> uh, hey, I like Batman Universe. Dollhouse Family, I'll give that a 7.5. Morbius, I will give a four. Oh, yeah. Vida! <laughs> and Wedding of Spider-Man and the Black Cat, the Black Cat Annual, I don't know. I'll give that a, a five. The art, I'm not thrilled with. Roman, please. Mm. For the love of God, tell us how Unbeatable Squirrel Girl ended. Manhumper. Oh, man. <laughs> Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 50. The, the, the final issue. And their second 50th issue this year. Um, <clears throat> this this is the final battle between Squirrel Girl and all her friends and the, all the villains she's fought. At the end of the last issue, you think they're doomed. They're not, they're not going to win this. Well, Galactus shows up because he's, he's also friends with Squirrel Girl, and he saves the day. In fact, he shows up, and it's great because Doom is like, hmm, Doom always triumphs eventually, and he pops out because <laughs> he's not going to fight Galactus. <laughs> um, and so Galactus saves the day, and then he takes – and he's about to actually just eat everybody, all the bad guys. And Squirrel Girl stops and goes, you can't do that. You can't kill him. So they go off to the moon to discuss morality and friendship and um, Squirrel Girl's what she's going to do now because her I, the main villain revealed her identity to the world. Who is it? Squirrel Girl. Who's villain? Who's the villain? Well, um, it's I don't even remember her name. It's a character that was introduced in this series. Oh, okay. It's you know outside of the series, no, series no one knows her in the Marvel universe. Um, and it's just a great discussion between the two of them about what's gotten to this point and what's important in life um their their friendship because oh i just i just love this series that's that end conversation i just sort of skimmed while you were showing it a a question of morality and friendship between squirrel girl and galactus is of the four bubbles i just read (laughs) looks looks exactly like something i would love this is just such a beautiful series because the whole thing doreen squirrel girl is always Solving things, and yeah, she's a great fighter. She's unbeatable. But part of the reason she's unbeatable is because she's she's intelligent, she's compassionate, she's always trying to 
talk talk people down and just communicate and try and see the other person's point of view and resolve things without physical violence. Um, <clears throat> and it's just a great comic about friendship. And Craven's in here, and it's the best characterization of Craven Marvel has ever had. Beyond, even above Craven's Last Hunt? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. He Co- ate a bunch of spiders in that. <laughs> Which is great. That's a horrible image. But it's so cool in this how he <laughs> develops as a character and bec- and becomes multifaceted instead of just this you know Russian dude obsessed with hunting. Yeah. Um, That's redundant. Russian? All Russians love hunting. <laughs> oh, of course. Apparently. How could I forget? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, Squirrel Girl. I think it's, like, a really important series of the last, like, Four years? I, I guess I'm curious how long ago it started. 50 issues, but, you know, largely mostly yeah, they restarted three a few years, times three and, or four years. Yeah. Um, I think it's got a reader base mm-hmm. that feels like kind of that's their book. And I don't know, I don't think there's an easy transition from that to a different book. I, 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 I think the comic industry is less for having no more Squirrel Girl in it. And I just, I'm curious, yeah. like, and, and, it felt like this was a good end. Well, a little bit more squirrel girl. Squirrel. I always have trouble saying that. I've noticed. Um, Doreen. She's <laughs> squirrel good. girl. They, the writer mentions she'll be showing up in other comics, but it won't be this squirrel girl because um, he won't be writing it. <clears throat> um, but there is this every issue. The letters page always has pictures from people, um, parents with and their daughters who read. They read the comic together, and there's an ongoing thing where these little girls all create squirrel girl costumes and send in their picture. So, yeah, it's a really sweet community. Reading this, actually, this issue, I was thinking, God, I hope I hope Hilo likes Squirrel Girl because I want to share a Squirrel Girl with him. Um, Has she ever been taken over by a Venom or Carnage symbiote? <laughs> no. Thank goodness, no. Is Donny Gates going to be allowed to write her? Carnage would come and tear oh, her spine God. out or whatever. Except she's unbeatable, so she would just, like, shrug it off somehow. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was going for, yeah. like... What that I would that I would like to see because <laughs> I haven't read much Squirrel Girl, but it feels to me like part of her power is like the power of kindness mm-hmm. and of communication, friendship. Yeah. Yep, and, yeah, and friendship, and that doesn't seem like something that would work real well on Carnage or Venom. Or Carnage specifically, I, I could see the Venom symbiote being kind of turned off by that, but Carnage. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Go, one, one of the thing, on. And one of the things I liked about this issue is they acknowledge that the next time Doreen shows up, she's not going to be the same. And these characters, when Craven shows up again, he says to her, um, Belka, it's his, I forget what that means in Russian, but that's his nickname for her. And he tells her, in the future, don't believe everything you hear about me. So they acknowledge the fact that, okay, this is special characterizations you aren't going to see these in other marvel comics with these these same people it's like an elseworlds Django, i'm sure nathan <laughs> butcher is the only one who's going to get it but if you could not say the word carry on to me that would be real good carry like on? baggage carry on sure, baggage sure it's got i've got a lot of baggage around carry on right now anyway we'll move on roman <laughs> carry is on is there roman. any like some murdered prey yeah, sitting around that you needs? could say that um roman Carry on with your review. Come on, buddy. It's a sore spot. I spent $100 on that guy. Um, if if you could give me a score for this. I either I just can't stop thinking of Fiona Apple now. <laughs> Fiona. I'll, I'll give this one a 10. 10. Oh, for sure. Man, if I didn't have to pee, I would make it. <laughs> gooey duck. Two gooey ducks in one day. I knew it was coming for this. I knew you were going to gooey my duck tonight for this. 
you old pseudopod. You. One of the great th- ongoing jokes in the series, and it happens here, is <clears throat> Doreen is good-naturedly always kind of making, and her friends are kind of making fun of Tony Stark cause, as being like this older, out-of-touch, kind of lecherous dude. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she's always calling him on that, and that happens a lot here, too. Mm. One, one question before Jeff pees. Do you know any Russian? Uh, Vodka. Da. <laughs> I only know one Russian phrase. What is it? Bootsrova Kakarova Enid Subie Buika. Cool. It means uh, <laughs> may you find a large woman. What a large woman. It's, it's a way to say gesundheit or bless you. It's like somebody sneezes and you say that and it's like May you have good health and find a large woman who will feed you like a cow or some, something like that. Well, that's more Russian. I, the only Russian I know is from Colossus, so a couple words Dog. here and there. Tavarish. Roman 10, you give it a 10? Yeah. Um, I give it a 10. Listen, <laughs> we're going to get out of here so we can get a real emergency edition of the mailbag, episode number sack. two. The mail sack. <laughs> the first episode has been uploaded as mailbag. If you, Fuck. I, I support you changing it to mail sack. Um or the mail satchel. I, I support changing. I, I support <laughs> no, changing. No, no. Mailbag's fine. I I don't Ball care. Ballbag. I love mailbag. Whatever. Um, but um, listen, if you want to call and leave us a question for us to answer on our separate mail mailbag mail sack feed, we would love that. Sack bag. Uh, you can record a message at one six one nine six six three seven three three six. We would love that. You can uh, record a, a audio memo on your phone and email it to info at thecomicsplace.com and we'll get it there. You just email us a word phone. I like that too. Aside yeah. from that, if you just really don't want your voice anywhere near it, you could even just like slip us a little note when you pick up your comics, and we and might we lose it. it like all the other <laughs> yeah. handwritten ones. But you, s- send me a chant; I'll read it out loud. Oh, and sneak <laughs> it on Jeff. Guarantee, guarantee. Um, but on that note, episode 156. Look for uh, a mailbag soon. Uh, with what we're about to do but i'm jeff thanks everybody for listening thanks all you folks for being here and uh and roman i'm sorry squirrel girl's over you and brayden that's a bummer i wish that had gone forever because i loved that that pocket uh was always was always full yeah i am too of change Mm. and other squirrel items nuts ew (laughs) i'm Django. i'm gonna change the name of that other podcast sub thing that we're doing to male nuts ew (laughs) I'm Colette, and uh, thanks for letting me ramble on about my uh, childhood weirdness we to you. all of you again. We, we will you. Colette you do that anytime. Oh, oh. Zabadu! Hey, that's one of the more clever. It wasn't 1-800-Colette. Oh! Roman? I'm Roman, and I sure do. I, I want to go into a Lazarus pit and come out all crazy and wearing a Roman, you must have gone into a Lazarus pit a long time ago. <laughs> There's like a three-year span where somebody would have ever called someone named Colette 1-800-Colette. Oh, I got it all the time when I was growing up. Yeah, but but like... <laughs> but yeah, there aren't like, 1-800-Colette commercials anymore. Yeah, there, and they were just no in time fear. for my C-O-L-L-A-T-T. Yeah. I you, hated that one because like call at what? C-O-L-L-A-T... Anyway, sorry, go. Yeah, you can, you can, you can say No Fear or Big Johnson to just a very slim segment of the population and have their flashback to high school. And their math boys. We'll see you next week.